This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Profanity, as a language of shocking filth, is a relatively new and culturally motivated idea. Depending on the history of, of the culture that you've been born into and the level for which these vulgar phrases or words have been used, you'll quickly find that the common language from other nationalities can be quite offensive. I never will forget when I started Seek Ye the Truth and South Africa started taking notice. Several Christian brothers in the cult started to profanely object to my pointing out of the failed prophecies of William Branham through use of four-letter words that are quite offensive in my culture. But having spent the last year and a half discussing these fictional life stories and these failed prophecies with many other nations, I'm quickly starting to realize that our view of language is tainted by the way our society has been molded throughout time. As a whole, <clears throat> mankind evolved from a very primitive race, what we would call filthy. But until recently, there was no need for profanity at all. So it was relatively non-existent. When one man became angry with another, he simply drew his sword. <clears throat> Many of the words that cause the most shock to our senses are describing actions or results of actions that we find offensive in this day and age. These words have a much faster success in verbally slapping the face of another person than simply long drawn out insulting. And the result of this socially motivated belief that some words are worse than others is that readers, especially younger readers, are shocked when they read their Bibles. We've been trained to focus on the Word rather than the intent behind the Word. And many words that we call profane words and phrases with simpler meaning, similar meanings, they're found throughout the Bible, especially if you read the books of the prophets. Language is very powerful. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the most powerful language of all, is found in our Bibles, the Word of God. When Israel broke the Ten Commandments and placed themselves under law, after the wrath of God was kindled against them, God continually found His children being influenced into serving other gods. And this made God angry and invoked His correction. But we find that before correction came, God used His prophets as His own mouthpiece to quickly condemn the children of Israel for their idolatry and to warn them of the coming destruction if they did not turn back to Him. God did not come with a physical sword, and He did not physically slap the faces. Yet He needed to have abrasive language, words that both insulted the actions of the children of Israel and condemned them for their idolatry. Many times God spoke to the prophets in ways that we would never speak to another person in this culture of today. When the children of Israel had turned to idolatry and Samaria had fallen with her, God sent Ezekiel to condemn these two nations. He called them prostitutes. But he used very shocking language to compare them to prostitutes who had become obsessed with their profession. Jerusalem was the worst of the two. God said that she was more depraved than her sister. And then he says this, Ezekiel 23:20. Then she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like that of donkeys, and whose emission was like that of horses. Ezekiel 23:20. Can you imagine the reaction in Sunday school when the Bible verse memorization time came, if little Johnny were to memorize this verse and read it to the class? It would be sheer horror in the eyes of the Sunday school teacher, and the parents would be mortified when they found out. His mouth would be washed out with soap. But this is what God said about Jerusalem. He was angry with them because they had allowed themselves to fall back into idolatry. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute. This conflicts with the words of Paul. Why did God do this through Ezekiel? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And Paul is saying exactly what we think and we have been taught. Literally translated, from the original Greek words broken down into their meanings, section by section, the translation is, Any word bad out of the mouth of you, let not go forth. But if any, good for building up of the need, that it might give grace to them that hear. There are two very important things to consider here. Profanity, as we know it today, is something that for the most part has evolved over the last few hundred years. And ironically, <clears throat> the English-speaking nations are the ones most sensitive to the words. An open conversation with a German or with a Russian would lead to insult. <clears throat> and the most important part of what Paul is saying here is that we must build one another up. 
when God used language that we would call profane with the children of Israel, he had a purpose of building up. Jerusalem had fallen. Even if profanity existed in that primitive race of people, these words could never have been worse than bowing down to idols and sacrificing your children to them. The newer translations include the phrase, as fits the occasion, which truly matches the underlying meaning of Paul's statement. When we go back to the original Greek, one por portion of this sentence is, but if any, good for building up of the need. God had need of using language that insulted Israel for their idolatry. They were words of con condemnation. They were words that pierced the hearts, a verbal slap in the face. And as we know, God will do nothing to set an example for us that he does not want for us himself. If we're against something that we know God does not like, and we can prove his distaste for it by Scripture, we should strongly be against it. God hates false prophets. He detests them. They're compared to sorcerers and diviners, which were stoned for their pure and blatant evil. God's prophets pretend to false prophets, as opposed to God's prophets, pretend to be seers of the future. When most prophecy given by God's prophets were voices speaking to the present, just like the example in Ezekiel, God spoke through Ezekiel to condemn what had happened in the past up to the present. Had Ezekiel gone around prophesying about his next hunting trip's prey, or cities sinking before some young lad became an old man, which never sank, then the children of Israel would rightfully have stoned Ezekiel. Even if Ezekiel would have had one prophecy that seemed logically to have been fulfilled, if he had one single prophecy that failed, there would not have been in a book of Ezekiel in the Bible. God detests false prophets. So some of you who are angry with this false prophet, the one that has stolen much of your life from you with his imaginary stories about his life and these twisted scriptures and false prophecy, you're thinking after reading this, William Branham is a blank. <laughs> but let's remember the words of Paul, especially that in the translation that matches Paul's intent. As fits the occasion. Remember, the motive behind Paul's statement was to uplift, not to push down. There are people, <clears throat> good people, who have known nothing else in their entire lives except these false prophecies by this lying man. We are not prophets from God, and God is not speaking through us to proclaim to others that Branham is a bastard child raised by the son of perdition, or calling him a prostitute as he did Jerusalem through the mouth of Ezekiel. Luke 16, 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. <clears throat> this verse from Luke matches what Paul is saying. 
There are not prophets today speaking harsh and abrasive language against the fallen nations. Luke says that those types of prophets stopped with John the Baptist. That was under law, which Paul calls obsolete. We are now under grace. We must speak what fits the occasion with the intent of building up. Sometimes building up means pointing to the way to deliverance. When entering into a heated conversation with one person trapped into the cult, there may be hundreds silently watching your reaction. In the grace that you show a person, the love that you show for their blinded eyes is more powerful than any words or phrases that you can use to shock and awe. In this case, grace is far more powerful than profanity. And remember, Profanity as we know it is something that's relatively new. It's a way of quickly drawing objection through insult, and the words of insult differ from culture to culture. The words that you use as your shocking power words in America is likely to have little effect in Russia. In a battle of offensive words with Germany is a losing battle. The language that we consider abrasive is commonplace. Those reading as a cult follower begins to insult you will quickly realize that the insults that they throw are actually profanity. I can remember growing up watching family members insult customer service representatives over the phone. I actually remember hearing the other side of the conversation with a crying voice. And many times this was over silly, nonsensical things, most of the time so that this family member could save a dollar or two off of a bill. For the price of that dollar, the emotions of this customer service representative were trampled over like a wild bull running through a whole field of wine glasses. The love of money had taken precedence over the love of fellow man. Not a single word was used that we would call profanity. Yet the intent behind these words was countless numbers worse. The words were cutting. They were digging into the heart of the listener to the point of tears. Paul said, but if any, good for the building up of the need. There was no need. This was not building up. This was the opposite this was breaking down. God did not, not call us to break down our brothers and sisters. He did not call us to place them before us as opponents. God has given us an opportunity, one that is greater than many people will ever have in their entire lives. God has given us experience. We have lived through a cult. We have deprogrammed our minds from false teaching that does not match the scripture. Our eyes have been opened to the failed prophecy. We have the power of history to research and identify every, each and every one of these single lies that this false prophet has told from town to town. We're the hoss and the little Joe of the uncovered, um, uncovering the traveling medicine man and his magic elixirs. God is using us to his purpose, and that purpose is to point people back to their Bibles. He's using us to show that his word is our absolute, and we're not to be led astray by lying false prophets.
Let our speech be used in a way that fits the situation and has the sole purpose of building the faith up of another person. Not faith in us, not faith in our research, or not faith in any single thing that can distract another person from their Bibles. Everything that we say and do, let's do it in such a way that shows the, the God that we serve is one that we serve in both spirit and in truth. Let's not forget that our cult brothers are trying their best to worship in spirit. But they're struggling because while worshiping in spirit, they have abandoned the truth. Oh.